Everybody Relax. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Everybody Relax Podcast, facilitated by your boy, licensed clinical social worker, neighborhood therapist, Trey. It's been a minute. Um, it's been a while. I hope that everybody has been well. Um, I am well. I am literally recording, holding my son, um, my newborn son that has made it into this world and, you know, back on uh, daddy mode with uh, the second child. So just thankful to be back and able to record. Hope that everybody's been well. I know I've been taking a little bit of hiatus off of um, podcasting lately. Um, just trying to get my mental straight. Just trying to you know, not even really trying to get my mental straight, but really just trying to um, rest. It's not even trying to get. It's not trying to get my mental straight. Not trying to just resting and um, looking for clarity in a lot of different things. So um, you know, luckily that was able to take some time off with my. Um, with the birth of my son, took some time off of the practice, took time from time off from everything. And then as soon as I got back on, I jumped right back into um the work and stuff like that. So, um and 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 with following suit, I'm back on the podcasting realm. So, um, but um, what you know, I wanted to drop this episode off today. Um, but before we get into that, um, shout out to everybody um that has been liking, sharing, subscribing to the podcast, listening to the podcast, even with little breaks and gaps that I've had in between. Um, if you also want more in-depth um, podcasts and extra episodes throughout the month, check out my Patreon, uh, Relax Virginia, and become a part of the Relax crew. Shout out to um, the last three speaking engagements I did in the last couple of weeks. Um, Mental Health America Conference uh, presented about um, being to heal and be the healer, black man in America, kind of looking at the intersectionality of race and mental health, social justice, things like that, and how you know that kind of comes up being a black mental health professional in this field that was a great turnout um and then also shout out to lock and lock and talk virginia uh, working with jordan out there um region 10 horizon behavioral health um we me my guy james harris founder of men the hill we did some speaking engagements about um, black men's mental health um did that for the last two two weeks as well fresh off of the um having a child, man. That was a great experience, great turnout, great um, response and everything. So shout out to everybody who showed up for that and came out to that. And then if you could want to check out the recap and the replay, you can go on YouTube and I think Unlock and Talk Virginia. And they should have both of them from Charlottesville and Lynchburg. So just, you know, shout out to everybody that's doing that, man. Shout out to everybody that's, you know, doing their own thing um, and, and making this stuff work and challenging the narrative, challenging the status quo. That's what it's all about. Um, just, just trying to change the systems and make it more efficient for everybody. You know what I'm saying? So wherever we got to do that via podcast facilitation, speaking engagements, or, you know, just doing something out of the box, you know, keep doing it, man. Keep doing it because like, it's only going to, um, help somebody else along the way, whether it's our clients or whether it's our colleagues or whether it's the next generation, you feel what I'm saying? I'm really focused on at this point, you know, going forward, um, pouring back into the next generation of therapists, social workers, and clients, um, looking at how do I, you know, give the tools that I've utilized, that framework and foundations that I've laid um, to open up the doors for future generations because I don't want to hold all this to myself. So I want to help, you know, get them into the, the space to operate in their own gifts and talents and then challenging the system as well and not be scared to. So um, that's another stage I'm looking to move into. Um, in the next year or so, um, maybe a couple months, um, and looking into, you know, just how I can, you know, whether that's, you know, via clinical supervision, expanding my practice, teaching, facilitating a bunch of different things. So be on the lookout for all of that type of stuff. Um, definitely let me know if you are looking for a speaker or facilitator. Also, um, my book is almost finished. I'll refresh the journey to find peace. That will be um, almost done here soon. We hoping for pre-order dates around August or September, but I will keep you um, in the know of that. Um, and also we'll be looking for a lot of media engagement, um, interviews to talk about my book, to come on other people's podcast, to talk about it. So um, I think that's everything for now that I've um, explored and, you know, kind of some housekeeping stuff. So, um, yeah, let's get to the, um, the main part. So it was Memorial Day weekend last year, um, and I've told this story once before, but now I can tell it a year later. Memorial weekend last year, 2021. It was going into my second year 
um, at my current job in the healthcare system, kind of as a case manager, care coordinator. And we had Memorial Day off that Monday. And I think it went into that Tuesday or even I took that Tuesday off, something like that. And the next day when I went back to work, I feel like it was a Wednesday. I woke up with a different level, and a different feeling. I got up, got ready for work. We had just gotten back into the office. Um, no, we had been back in the office for quite some time, but it was just like daunting. It was just COVID cases popping back up and a lot of mask wearing, trying to navigate the systems, um, this, that, and the third, wanting to execute, um, do more stuff. Um, I had just got trained in EMDR, was looking to figure out how I could implement that if, if I could, um, possibly funneling through the thought of um, getting you know, taking a new position within the agency as a therapist, um, in a private, you know, in a private setting, um, just was really kind of just rummaging through those thoughts at that time. Um, also I had my part-time private practice at the time, still moving, um, had a little downtime the month before, um, down probably the, the lowest month of clients that I've seen since first starting, and then was really kind of just, okay, what is next in this private practice space? Do I expand a little bit more, take on more clients? Um, you know, do I take start taking insurance now? You know, what did I do? And so, um, and also, this was the same time that I had, you know, put a down payment on getting my office space. And so I'll talk about that a little bit later about how all this comes full circle. I put a down payment on my office space. My clientele was kind of my, I had my lowest earning month I had in private practice part-time, but I was also looking to expand. So yeah, I had entertained the idea of going ahead and, you know, taking on some insurance companies looking to expand because my thought was that I would jump out into full-time private practice in August. So um, a lot of thoughts was moving back and forth. I had known, I had put a timeline on myself to, to say that in August, 2021, will be I would jump into full-time private practice, um, you know, and actually I had really, I, I stopped the thought of staying there at that time. Let me take that back. Um, I wasn't going to stay there. I positioned a plan in place that if I was to take insurance, increase my caseload um, to a certain amount of people, that I would be able to position myself to um, leave my job in August of 2021. And I mapped it out. I started taking new clients. I got a couple new clients in by that time um, and just was ready to go. So I went from maybe like um, seven to maybe 13 or 14 or 15 at this time and just slowly increasing that customer base. But this morning felt really different. This morning felt really different. Um, I was you, and I tell the story a lot like when you wake up, you don't want to go to work. We always don't know want to go to work. We just get up and you just don't. Like, I don't feel like going to work today. But this one was a nudging, right? It was a more like, nah, this is my last Memorial Day. This is my last holiday uh, within this organization. That's what it felt like. Like, this was the end. And I sat there that Wednesday, and I was like, yo, this is different. This is different. And uh, I text my wife. And we had been talking about this because, we, again, we've been planning on this for me to, you know, transition to full-time private practice. And, um, you know, I just was really, really, really in a different space. You know, I, it wasn't the same, oh, I don't want to go to work. So I talked to my wife about it. She gave me the green light. And it was that day that I drew up my resignation letter for um, my job, which was different for me. Because usually um, I have a more in-depth plan, right, or even a backup plan for a backup plan. But this time around, it wasn't a backup plan for a backup plan. It was just like, I'm going to just figure it out and go from there. I was tired, man. I was really, I had reached my rope working in institutions and agencies and still dealing with the same bureaucracy that I've dealt with since I was working at a bagel shop in the hospital. And... I just felt stifled. I felt um, I didn't feel appreciated at that point in my agency that I was working with. Um, and I felt like I, my skill sets that I wanted to use and the creativity that I was trying to implement or, you know, embark on was just being looked at as if, you know, um, 
an abstract model that doesn't fit within the research and teaching setting that we are looking to work with in this population, which is funny to me because, you know, the population that we was working with was primary African-American. And there was opportunities, I felt like, to create something amazing, something that I felt like would be life-changing in that area down in Richmond and or, or in Virginia and in a whole. So I sat out and I, I submitted my three weeks. I submitted my two weeks, but it was really three weeks. Um, and as we come up on Juneteenth and Father's Day weekend, um, it was fitting. I wasn't, I wasn't even looking at that. I wasn't even thinking that, you know, my last day of work was on Juneteenth which was, you know, you know, kind of a symbolic because that was the day that, you know, we finally received our freedom as black black people in 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 um in America. But it was symbolic um because I didn't even really I wasn't even thinking about that. I just knew that it was time for me to go. And um I submitted my paperwork, man, and um you know, one of the supervisors at the time that I was cool with, she had kind of moved up in leadership. She was like, she kind of knew because she said I took EMDR training and like usually when that happens, like, you know, it's kind of, you know, it's going something somewhere else. And there was a lot of changes coming in the apartment, um, things that I really didn't you know care for. I didn't really want to do kind of exalt. It kind of went beyond my job duties. Um, and then, you know, although I was probably, you know, proficient and kind of innovating and the DEI space there, um, I still didn't feel included, you know? So, um, I was like, well, I'll take my chances here because I've been working, you know, for the past 10, 15 years, um, most of my work life to get to this point in my life where I can be able to step out and do my own thing. And I had that opportunity and fast forward to coming up on one year of full-time private practice, man, I can say that entrepreneurship and self-employment is one of the wildest roller coasters I've ever been on um, in my entire life. But it is so hard to um, to trade that out every day. You know, when I first jumped out there every day, I wanted when I finally had that week where I didn't go but go to work and it was just me. And um, then the weeks went by where there was no more paychecks coming in. I wanted to go back to work 10,000 times. There was times where I was, you know, looked at taking a part-time job with a, um, with Mental Health America, ironically, and then um, decided that that was not in the cars. That wouldn't make sense. Um, I was going to um, back up myself um, with Sondermind, which is kind of a platform, much of the tech digital platforms working with therapists that allows you to you know, see clients and you don't have to do any of your billing. They take care of all that. They just get you the clients and you do the therapy. I had decided to take that on to give me a supplement of, of clients. Um, but by the time I tell you, by the time I jumped out, like it, it really blossomed once I got approved for Anthem Insurance in like Aprilish, late Aprilish where I went from like seven to 15 to 20 to 25 within probably a month and a half. So if you look at the span from um, April to July, I increased my caseload by 15 people um, in, a, in a period of under maybe 60 days. Um, and I credit that to just, you know, networking and marketing, putting myself in the right position. Um, also credit myself to just kind of being, um, you know, again, there's there's a need for black male therapists and the population I was serving was working with black men. Um, and I had black women as well. But, you know, even the the, the, the business model on looking at, well, <laughs> you creating a private practice typically with a, a population that does not typically go to therapy was still a, still a kind of a wild thing as well. But I knew that um, that would be beneficial for me. You know, that would be put me in a place where I could sustain. And, um, you know, it the, the caseload ballooned so quickly. It, it was just, it was a while to watch. Now, what, what's the crazy thing about that is that, you know, I had the office space. I just jumped out here to full-time private practice against my own typical judgment that I usually go about doing things. Um, and... I had my office space and I was building that up and, you know, I had the thought, well, okay, well, you know, at that point I started going back with the Sondermine situation. I had Sondermine, but I ended up stop. I didn't even take them. I, I let Sondermine go. I didn't even get through the process of 
starting because I had enough clients. Um, and so the biggest hurdle came for when we went on vacation in July and um, I was still working on receiving payments from, you know, receiving payments from May um, going forward because, yeah, I had started taking people from taking Anthem um, and trying to navigate that. You know, how do I recoup these payments? And it was about $1,100 of claims that had not been received yet um, due to an error referencing um, my address. And so it was going to my old P.O. box. Now, that's one thing I tell clients in private practice starting up. You know, of course, we can't use P.O. boxes, but please be mindful even do if you do the CAQH, whatever address that you use, uh, if you you have to do the CAQH, but you also have to do sign up with the actual insurance providers to give them address as well. And I feel like when I first signed up with Anthem was back in September of 2020, I believe. So I still had my PO box. I didn't have my virtual office at that point in time, but my CAQH had my virtual office. So I had to really work backwards until I figured that out, match the claims with the claims. And look at what was on the remittance um, when I, you get that back of where they were sending the claims at. So they was sending the claims to a P.O. box that just wouldn't that wasn't operating at the point in time. So that's my you know journey starting out. The first three months of me jumping out there is, you know, I was getting my money, but then there was multiple claims that I was losing. And then once I self-corrected it, um you know, things looked up from there. But, you know, I struggled with the thought of um, trying to balance out scheduling, trying to balance out um, how many people I see in a week. Um, I was still learning how to my flow in therapy. I was still learning my flow in therapy. And then there was also some times where I had some clients that would, you know, I, I started off well with them and then they dropped off. I started off well and we just didn't connect. And so that was my first time really just kind of dealing with working when um, situations where clients, there wasn't a good fit. And then maybe I wasn't, you know, the best fit for them either. You know what I'm saying? And Or my, my clinical expertise or my skill set, the interventions that I use wasn't helpful. So, and then like, there was also the big situation of finances, right? Like it's scary jumping out there into full-time private practice not knowing where your ends are coming from or you know where your ends are coming from, but you cannot figure out where this money is at. And so I recall like, you know, struggling with myself a lot around and worrying about finances, 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 finances. And like, shoot, I should just go back to work. I should just figure this out. Um, and my therapist told me one thing, man, he was just like, you know, you know, the money is going to, come you know or if you have a cancellation of course you know you got to have cancellation fees in place but one client canceling or because i got i think i got upset i got really upset with where clients were canceling and i was just like shoot i don't even know what to do um and then he was just like you know they canceled that doesn't mean they're not gonna reschedule so whatever money you expect is gonna probably come back so you know that that is kind of like that like when we start talking about private practice and helping folks there is still a big financial component to all of this work that i feel like we we neglect or we don't talk about enough and um it's a real thing for us in, in full-time private practice you know because we have to make our ends meet you know what i'm saying and it's something that we talk about i think i talk about with clients in session about affordability of therapy even with insurance whether it's the copay, um whether it's like a situation where you know a deductible has to be met or like it's payday, but it's in between payday and we can't make that copay. You feel what I'm saying? So there are still gaps and barriers to obtaining, you know, therapy, even within the client, but also within the therapist. I think we don't talk about that side enough about how the therapist goes about providing their care or working with that client um, when they can't pay or they have a struggle payment, you know, paying. So how does that how does that make you feel? What does that look like? Um, if a client is short on cash, short on a copay or can't, you know, provide for your services. And so, um, you know, but after that conversation with my therapist and then I came up with this analogy, like, you know, two plus two equals four and just really, you know, understanding like dollars and cents going to make dollars and cents when dollars and cents make dollars and cents. So, um, 
I think for the first couple months, most of the summer, that was my biggest hurdle. It wasn't obtaining the clients. It wasn't, um, you know, looking at like, you know, my therapy style, my therapy flow. And it wasn't um, the, the overall business aspect of, you know, the practice, but it was the financial aspect, getting used to not having a consistent check every two weeks and um, making sure that I covered the cost of my office space, but also my home life. Um, and so that has been an interesting journey. Now, I will say about this, um, as the fall came around, started to get my little bit you know, more comfortable with, with this, the whole full-time aspect, got more comfortable with it, um, kept pushing along, had to make some adjustments, started to st- started to kind of examine things before it came so I can kind of position myself when, when it would arise. And so um, between the time of September and November, I added on about 10 more clients, and that has put me at my max. Um, and so, but with that, I had to challenge myself because I had to say, okay, well, if our margin is this, we need to get to this point um, and we need to figure this out from a financial standpoint, then how many clients do we need to see to make this, you know, really reasonable? Because the thing about it is that if I'm so stressed about income or the business operations that I can't provide adequate, you know, therapy care to my clients, then that's not a good you know, situation to be in for me or my clients. So, um, you know, I did that and, um, I had probably my greatest earning year in November, a month in private practice, um, in November, um, it stayed consistent from July, maybe from June through August. I mean, June through October. I also learned about, you know, um, vacations, um, and how that impacts people coming in. I learned about, um, you know, how to, okay. Cause now I'm thinking about it now. It's like, okay, we know August and September is coming up. So I'm like, is that the same time? Do I need to vacation too? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And, um, or take some time off too, you know what I'm saying? So I looked at that and then, um, also, you know, understanding like the vacation time matters and then you're forecasting what you're going to bring in monthly, but what time of the year is it? And then, um, just kind of learning that that was something new that I had to learn on the fly is look at these different, um, these different seasons and how they affect, you know, you know, um, participation in therapy and kind of thinking back to April of that time where it was, you know, springtime's coming around. A lot of people didn't start canceling sessions and, you know, stuff like that. And I'm like, you can't blame them because it's, it's, we back outside, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And then the fall come around, it's like, okay, we back inside, you know what I'm saying? So, um, so, um, that was, you know, definitely interesting to kind of navigate that and kind of go through that and kind of understand what does that look like in my business structure? Um, fast forward, we get through, um, November, November, I had a great earning month. So I was expecting that I should have an even better earning month in December, but I'm so deep into the actual practice that I didn't even realize December is the holidays, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So you're going to miss a lot of people because of the holiday season. And this is none of like, none of this is at the fault of the client. I want to be clear with that. This is just everyday people doing everyday things. People travel in the summer, um, typically from July through September, the holidays, people are with their family doing things unless, you know, they don't have any contact with their family. That's different. Um, and it's not no, and what I had to learn was that it's no slight against you as a therapist or what you do, but you know, family's going to come first and yeah. And I agree with that wholeheartedly. And I agree with taking breaks. I was, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm the type of therapist that I agree with taking breaks and vacations. You know, I sometimes talk with my clients and they haven't taken a vacation in years, built up leave and this, that, and the third. So I'm, I'm a adamant about that. So it, but it, it still coincides with me being a businessman, you know what I'm saying? And so, um, I think the constant clash that we have to understand is business, business person versus therapist. 
And those two representatives, you're going to have to figure out a way to allow them to have both have seats at the table. That is very key is the businessman, the businessman, businesswoman and the therapist is how how do they coincide and work together versus clashing when they clash? That's when you have your most stress because it starts it starts becoming even more business or more therapy related. And yes, they're, and they're both intertwined. So you have to, you know, navigate and manage that. Right. So December, man, um, going to December, I expected this, but it just it didn't have happen that way. And then um, so much happened in December. Um, it was December. I, you know, coming off a great income month in November. Um, But. I wanted to take some time off in December because it was the holidays. And then also my wife got COVID. So I was really, really um, <laughs> conflicted. And I was trying to figure out like everything that was going on private practice wise, why things weren't adding up in the summer of November. Now, also, um, you know, we talk about taxes. We're going to talk about that coming forward. Also around this time, I was contemplating looking at my office space because my office space at one point in time, we was, I was housing two people that was coming in. I had one person that was local, but um, coming in, but it was coming in every other week. And um, it was like, all right, my margin is too high. Like my, my overhead is too high right now. I need to figure out what I need to cut so I can be in a better position so I won't have so much of the finances bogging me down that I'm just sitting there struggling or thinking about finances all the time. I want to be able to just exist and not worry about finances you feel what i'm saying um and so you know honestly entrepreneurship what i would say is that entrepreneurship will expose um your financial weaknesses and your financial strengths it will also expose what type of um spender you are so you have to be aware of that and that's something that you have to work on so you know fast forward going into the new year or going into christmas right going into christmas my wife got covid the week before christmas so she got covid she was quarantined she was isolated and i was still managing the the household managing the business managing my finances while also taking care of my wife and my daughter and man that was so tough that was tough and that made me reevaluate some things because I said to myself, I said, well, next year I'm going to be better planned for December. You know, I'm going to be better planned um, to the point where I can just take time off. Because at the point in time when I decided to take time off in December, I was going to go straight through. When I got through December, like, I started getting in and I was like, I just need to take some time off. And um, one of my mentors, um, Bache, Paul Bache Williams, um, we was, he we talk, was tweeting and uh, I said, man, yeah, man, I want to take some time off too, man. He just, I don't know where to fit in the schedule. He was like, you know when to fit it into your schedule when you take it off your schedule. And um, kind of paraphrasing, like, you know when to fit it in when you you don't, you know, mark it on your calendar. You just take it off and say that's where you're taking time off. That's how you fit it in. And I was like, yeah, that's dang, that's true, right? You know what I'm saying? And I actually used that 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 motto with the birth of my son in May of this year where I was like, I'm going to take, I'm going to take, I said, I'm going to take two weeks off. Then I was like, eh, it's coming into June, kind of halfway through the week. I'm going to take three weeks off. And I took three weeks off. It was a little, little tight, but you know, I made it work and it was like, okay, that wasn't so bad. That was three weeks off that I took and I still didn't miss a beat. I was like, oh man, you know what I'm saying? So I think this is something that I can start, you know, simulating. But either way, going into, um, man, kind of coming out of fall, winter, January comes around, tax season, tax season. And I'm like, oh, man, I know taxes is going to be crazy. And um, I, I wasn't able to, you know, stash away, put away quarterly payments, monthly payments for taxes because my income was going up and down so much. And I was still learning how to do that. And um, just really was um, working through it and just anxiety driven around taxes, what it's going to look like. And, you know, it wasn't as bad as I thought it would be. But it was still more than I ever paid in taxes um, from a, you know, after filing. Now, if you think about like if I looked at if I was still a W-2 employee working, I would say, OK, well, that makes sense. Right. That's what I used to pay in taxes. But from a business owner perspective, first time, you know, trying to navigate that, that was tumultuous. Didn't know what to do. 
right? So, um, you know, either way, I worked through that. But here's the thing about, you know, the interesting thing about entrepreneurship is that what I was realizing, I was, I had so much time to tap into the things that I wanted to really do. I love to do speaking, right, engagements. I love to help out and, and, and do program type stuff or policy macro type stuff. I was looking at more also the tech and the mental health space. Um, and then also like some other stuff that I was doing, like I was doing videos at times um, around like on my sneakers, you know, promoting my book, uh, sneakers, my cars, just telling stories, like all that content creation that y'all saw in that point in time, like around that, that was me just kind of expressing my creativity and also taking taking the time that I need to in order to, um, you know, fill that, that gap. And filling those gaps um, have, have led to so many different opportunities in these past, you know, six months. Um, and so as much as I still would flirt with, like, I want to go back to nine to five first, there wasn't many jobs out there that I wanted to take. Uh, secondly, I just couldn't bear the idea of going back to work for somebody again. So at any point in time where I felt like that I had that urge to go back to work, I would just go and create. And me creating will kind of reinforce the, the thought of I'm here and I'm making it happen and we're going to figure this thing out, you know. And um, that's when I got first got introduced January, February time frame. I got first introduced to DocSpace. Shout out to um, Michael Philwiler and um, Mario, um, who founder of DocSpace and um, they uh, and Miles, they, they, they introduced me to DocSpace, this kind of platform that's looking to. Put a, make a one-stop shop for therapists, you know, to, to start their private practice, to to do all the bookkeeping, their scheduling, to do the blogging, podcasting, whatever they want to do. Um, we want to do it through DocSpace. And I became a um, mentor for new clinicians trying to start their private practice. And that was so fulfilling. Um, that was so fulfilling um, in doing that for the six weeks and seeing those uh, private practice owners and clinicians um, jump into private practice the way I did um in the you know just maybe six to eight months ago you know they might did a more streamlined fashion than i did but i was able to give back and um give that information back to them and that's one of those things where i really i really um i enjoy doing it was just teaching and giving back and helping people kind of you know get into their goals and make their goals and avoid the mistakes that i made and man you know that was very very um fulfilling for me and so, but out of that, right, you know, also increased my networking and then also, and I was looking at like, I had time to do that. I said, if I was working, I would never have time to do that in the middle of the day. I would never have time to take calls in the middle of the afternoon, the middle of the week, right? I'll have to schedule around that. And um, then it just, it kind of took on, like I had a lot of people in, in private practice that was coming up on one years. Um, people were progressing, um, I think I have capped my, my client base around January, February. So I haven't accepted any new people, um, since then. Um, and then I had started just like, I said, well, I, I was still struggling with the thought of, you know, full-time therapy. Cause obviously, honestly, y'all, I'm not a, I'm not your, your full-time therapist type guy. Like I like to do policy work and macro work and, and, and kind of like, and I love to speak. So, um, I was trying to get to more of that space. And so what was interesting was that this thing in private practice was giving me the opportunities to go speak, travel and speak, but also tap into other things like, you know, my podcasting or brothers and social work collective. Um, I could, move around my appointments and my, my appointments to fit in the things that I wanted to do creative creatively, or if I got, or I can, you know, blend my week and, you know, make my week um, mixed with speaking engagements and therapy and a break versus just all therapy all the time. You know what I'm saying? And so I started to kind of map out my timeline of map out the second leg of my business, which was the consulting and speaking engagements. And I, I I remember sitting there one time um, in March, I feel like, February or March. And 
I was looking, I was outside, I was walking my dog, and I remember, and I maybe tweeted about it, that I have put myself out there as much as I could at this point. You know, I had, I was doing a therapy thing, the private practice thing. I was with Doc Space doing that stuff on them for a little bit. I was speaking. I was podcasting. And then I was hopping on other people's podcasts. I had, I announced my book, you know, coming out. Um, I was everywhere. And I said, man, at some point, some of this got, there's nothing else I can do to put myself out there more. At this point, I had to let this thing go. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to let this thing work itself out and just wait and be patient. And I feel like that's one of the biggest things that I took away from my first full year in private practice is patience. I'm still going through it right now with this, some stuff I got going on, but patience. Um, and we always talk about patience, but you know, patience is the thing that will lead you from making one bad decision uh, to a good decision. Um, accepting something in the in the immediate just because you're urgent and want it versus waiting and getting something better. Um, it's also the thought of if you wait a little bit longer, it's going to give you great opportunity versus you might have missed the opportunity or you didn't give it your all because you went too soon. And man, that was the first time when I did that and I kind of accepted that, right? Uh, and you guys know I'm a spiritual person anyways, but um, that was really one time where I really accepted God's will for my life. It was that time and it was in the summer of, of 2021 as well when I, that whole two plus two equals four thing. Um, and patience, I accepted um, his will for these things will come to pass and they will come to fruition um, when they when it's time instead of me trying to force everything. And that freed me from a lot. Uh, that freed me from so much. Um, and thus, March comes around and I had two speaking engagements. Um, you know, I have some colleagues who recommended me for some speaking engagements um, and and things just kind of taken off. And so I traveled from Atlanta for, you know, accepting of one of my actual presentations about virtual private practice to, you know, Chicago with DocSpace speaking in one month. I've never traveled to two, two different states in one month ever in my life. Um, and you know, kind of just being exposed to that. And then, you know, I then had a, a conversation, a speaking engagement at my, the, the place that I, I left that when I jumped on my nine to five, I had a speaking engagement there due to um, the recommendation of the, the amazing and wonderful Kim Young, dope black social worker. And that was my first paid speaking engagement. Um, and and just really not my first paid speaking engagement, but my first paid paid speaking engagement. Let's put it like that. And um, and then I just started, and then like it fell right within the time frame of what I needed to do scheduling wise, right, um, for my clients. Because I remember I said like you know I was looking at how scheduling my appointments would just be moved around. And I could fit still see my clients without feeling like I'm abandoning them. It was the same thing for Atlanta and Chicago. Um, I would move my Tuesday around. I'd even move to Wednesday or Monday or the following week. Or, um, you know, then I would, um, you know, or if it's on a Thursday, like, you know, I had some, some most of the time I have like limited, limited you know, appointments on Thursday sometimes or in the evenings. So by the evening time, I was fine, you know. And so um, I also learned that I, I'm probably not good at, I'm not my best coming off of a flight and going back into appointments the same day. So that needs to stop. Um, but um, the flexibility around that. And I think also building the rapport with my clients to to be okay with flexibility too. Like I think you got to take that into account because you just can't do that with like your client's not flexible and that's your main people that you're working with. But I was able to add that second leg 
um, due to my connections, due to the time that I had. Because I wouldn't be able to go to Atlanta and Chicago in the same month if I was still working a nine to five. Not in the middle of the week like that. I was going in the middle of the week. And I thought that was just a testament, a blessing to this private practice that I want to do. Um, and then it was allowing me to do the other thing that I really wanted to do, which was also speak. And um, and I was still being able to meet the needs of my clients because I really cared that, I you know, yeah, I'm going to speak and do my own thing, but I don't want to feel like, want my clients to feel like, oh, he's just, he's just leaving us in the dark and he's not taking care of our needs. That's one thing I definitely don't want to do. And, um, but, you know, the way that things are, you know, scheduled around, I have the whole week. And I have, like, a Fridays that are open and Mondays are open at times so I can maneuver how I want to maneuver. And, um, yeah, so, you know, the thing that I, is interesting, the thing that, you know, with private practice that when I first started out I was fearful of, which was scheduling um, and, and trying to manage that and then also, like, finances would also – in the turn later later on one year later would be the thing that I'm most comfortable with that allows me the most freedom right um is a interesting thing to turn around in 365 days lastly as we kind of conclude this thing um two things that I had to learn too about me is scheduling and you know figuring out like what times of the week that I work best what days of the week that I work best I was on a three-day schedule Mondays off, Fridays off, but I had to take back my Mondays because I had too many clients. And um, then there was the evening time, stuff like that. And I had a long day. I would start at like 10 or 11 and go to like 8. And that would be just super long days. It would drain me. And so I I was always flirting with the, my, my scheduling and this, that, and the third. And I ended up um, changing my schedule to 12 to 12 to 7. That's my schedule, Monday, um, Tuesday through Thursday. And then Monday is typically like 1 to 7 or whatever. But um, once I did that, I saw a distinct change in my energy and my ability to focus. Um, That was big for me. That was so big for me. Um, You have to, a lot of clients, like, you know, a lot of people talk about, like, you know, their scheduling and what that looks like and how that, how they go about, um, doing that is, you know, you gotta really be in tune with what your body is telling you. You feel what I'm saying? I was really getting up at seven and um, taking my daughter to school by eight thirty, eight forty-five. Wouldn't start the day to like, you know, start my first session around ten or eleven sometimes. But it wasn't giving me enough time to get myself together. Or if I was super tired, I could lay in the bed a little bit longer. You know, just to take that time. So. I think me starting at 12 has was like the biggest change in helping me, you know, with my energy and um, my focus and not being so exhausted at the end of the day. Now, the only thing about it is that I still have maybe like one eight o'clock left um, on my schedule. That's one of my day one guys. But, um, you know, I'm OK with that because at least I can get out by eight mostly, mostly most of the days. So the biggest catalyst right now is going to figure out going forward into the fall about if my evening schedule is still going to be, you know, able to do that. And so, you know, what does that look like for me? What does it look like for me and my clients? Um, and these are conversations like, you know, from a scheduling aspect that you have to talk with your clients about. They're part of your practice, you know, in a sense. You know what I'm saying? So you have to be able to kind of communicate with them about that and see what's comfortable for them. You know, I started – flirting with the idea of Fridays as much as I don't want to work on Fridays but I flirted with the idea on Fridays if I could um get them get people in by two but I wasn't doing anything else by two I did one session in the evening on Friday and I just had nothing <laughs> and I was like that's not fair to the client not fair to anybody I'm never doing that again because I know Friday evenings I'm drained and I want to relax I want to chill and I've already built in my schedule so why go back to it you know what I'm saying? So looking at that, you got to be in tune and understanding, uh, listening to what your body is telling you in sessions, during the day, during the morning, during the night. You got to listen to your body. As much as we talk to our clients about, you know, just being aware and self-awareness, we got to be doing the same thing as well as clinicians. Secondly, um, the last thing is that um, 
the biggest thing that I made to change was um, I let my office space go. And my wife asked me when I was contemplating it, she was like, you know, is it going to be bittersweet for you? And I was like, yeah and no. But I, I have this thing, right, that I do, especially I used to do it a lot in um, certain spaces, when workspaces when I would work. You know how most people that when they get to work or they do at work, they build, they make their space their own. So it's their space. And it feels like an extension of themselves when they come in there. For my last two jobs, I've never did that. I've never built it up to a place to be an extension of myself. Because I always knew that at some point I was going to be leaving. And I wanted to make it uncomfortable. Now, my office space, I had made it comfortable. I had made it very strategic. I had my podcast room. I had my office. You know, I had my waiting area. I really put my hands on it. Um, But I hadn't really dived into it the way I wanted to. I was going to dive deeper into it. But I I, I created it up the way I wanted it to. So it was comfortable, but I only had it for, you know, a couple months um, at the time. And the only thing I told myself about my office space was like, if I'm going to think about letting this thing go, I want to at least make it a year to say, you know, I made it a year. It didn't work out. And, um, you know, when I called my landlord about it, like maybe January, February, I told him, I was like, you know, hey, I need to let this thing go. Because at this point in time. I was like, I flirted with it, but I was like, nah, I need it. I'm going to keep it. Maybe I'm going to expand the practice. But I couldn't get nobody to come down there in my practice. I had two extra rooms. I just couldn't get nobody to come. And, um, you know, I thought about renting it out to one of my photography homies or my videography homies, but that didn't kind of work out. So I was just like, man, you know, I got to let this thing go. I got a baby on the way. I got to, you know, put myself in position. And um, I'm so thankful that I made that decision on the fly as a business owner. Because then, see, that now now therapist's mind has to take a back seat. And we got to look at overhead as a business owner. Is it hurting me or hindering? Is it hurting or helping me keeping this office space? If I only got one or two clients coming in here biweekly. And, the, you know, the smooth catalyst about this was because we had a couple of COVID scares. I had real, I had gotten... Um, I didn't even mention in December, I had, um, I was like my wife getting COVID. I got sick and I was having issues with my, like, my, um, my vision and stuff like that and getting headaches and just had a real bad cut. like, I don't even know what happened. I, I contributed to stress, but always, but, um, something was going on. And, um, so I really, uh, took that into account and, um, I spent majority of December, maybe um, into January, it was at least about six weeks that I didn't, you know, I didn't get into my office space maybe about five times. It's about six weeks, you know what I'm saying? I was doing most of my, my um, sessions from the living room. And um, that is when I really realized, okay, do you really need this office space? Or is it just something that you just, you have as an alternative and you're not really, you know, using it. And, you know, we was using it for podcasting and I was using it for podcasting, but that's probably the most use I was getting out of it. And um so I decided at the top of the year to let that office space go. And um the office space was helpful in offset some of the taxes, but it was costing me more a month than what it was, you know, helping, I would say. And I loved having my office space. I love having that the space that I wanted to create and cultivate. Um, but it just didn't work. And I had to make a business decision, you know, that kind of cliche saying, making a business decision. I made a business decision. And that decision I felt like was for, for the best because it doesn't mean, you know, I can't go back and get one. And I have that relationship with my landlord where we talk business a lot. So if I wanted to come back, you know, and I paid everything on time, I just had that one issue where, you know, we had a storm and some other stuff that was coming up that was kind of past due, but I still made it, still made rent, but it was just like, you know, going through that and yeah, let this thing, let it go. So that was one big thing that allowed me, I feel like by me allowing that, you know, to let go, it was always allowing me to um, be able in May to take three weeks off and still be, you know, okay. And so, um, and I just surveying too, kind of figuring out, okay, well, our, you know, insurance going to keep reimbursed for telehealth and, it looked like it was. So I said, okay, well, we should be good to go until we, you know, going forward for that, you know. So, 
um, that's just, you know, that business decision that I had to make. And that's that battle, right? That battle of therapist versus, you know, business owner. So, um, but, you know, I think, and do I, will I want another office space? Probably, yeah. Yeah, in the near future. But I, I right now, it's, 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 it's causing me more money than what it is making me. And that's a problem. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And so, um, again, kind of going back to earlier, about saying like, hey, you know, as you know, what's I'm trying to move my mind off of finances. What's the best way to do? It? What's the the biggest one? It's the office space. So, um, and that's some of the themes that I've talked a lot about with other therapists too. It was like, you know, I said I thought about it, I was gonna keep it and let mine go too. So, I think a lot of us has been kind of in that limbo kind of stage. And right now, I have a virtual office space um, that I use. That is, you know, about 50, 60 a month. Something like I what I had beforehand, you know, that was down in Richmond. So um it's been beneficial, you know what I'm saying? So um I do wanna go deeper into like um a lot of the other things that I've learned about myself, learned about myself as a therapist, uh some of the ebbs and flows, um, other things that came out. And um, but I'll reserve that for my Patreon. So if you want to learn more about like some things that I've learned about myself, some techniques that I learned about as a therapist, um, managing entrepreneurship as a therapist, taxes, operational expenses, um, doing what's worked and works for you and embodying that and embracing that um, and then figuring out like what your end goals are. Come on to the Patreon, uh, Relax Virginia, um, and I'll tell you all about it on the Patreon. But. Um, I think for 50 minutes, y'all got a good portion of what a one year looks like for me in full-time private practice and what I've learned, you know, and dealt with and figured out along the way in that aspect, man. Um, if y'all appreciate this information, please like, share, subscribe to the podcast. Make sure you tell somebody about it. Um, continue to, you know, I appreciate all the support. Um, and, um, yeah, man, I hope that this was helpful for you. We'll see with the next set of, um, episodes are going to be um i'll keep y'all posted well y'all just watch the watch the uh, social media waves and we'll take it from there but uh, hopefully i have a great week a great father's day weekend great juneteenth and um, i'll talk to y'all soon